0: So tonight, I'd like to continue
1: with a series of talks on the Satipatthana Sutta that I began last year. It was based on a wonderful book by the Venerable Analayo, a German monk who had studied and practiced in Sri Lanka called Satipatthana, The Direct Path to Realization. So, the Buddha begins the Sutta, the Satipatthana Sutta, with a very bold and unambiguous statement. He says bhikkhus, and bhikkhus here refers not only to monks or nuns, but bhikkhus here refers to anyone who was practicing this path of liberation. So in this context, the Buddha is speaking to us. He says, Bhikkhus, this is the direct path for the purification of beings, for the overcoming of sorrow and lamentation, for the disappearance of dukkha and discontent, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of Nibbana, namely the four Satipatthanas. That's a very clear statement about the nature of this path of practice and where where it's leading. For the overcoming of suffering, for the attainment of the true way, for the realization of nibbana. And then he continues the discourse with a brief definition of satipatthana meditation. He points out, Right in the beginning, the four fields, we could call them the four mindful abidings, the four pastures of mindfulness, of awareness. And also, the Buddha points out the qualities of mind that need to be cultivated in order to accomplish this goal of liberation. So again, continuing in the Buddha's words, the four satipatthanas, what are the four here bhikkhus, in regard to the body, abide contemplating the body, ardent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to feelings, abide contemplate feel, contemplating feelings, ardent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to the mind, abide contemplating the mind, ardent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. In regard to Dhammas, abide contemplating Dhammas, ardent, clearly knowing, and mindful, free from desires and discontent in regard to the world. So in the talks last year, we explored the meaning of the words ardency, clear knowing of mindfulness, and we looked in some detail at the first of the four satipatthanas, that is the mindfulness of the body, and we looked at it from many different perspectives as outlined in the sutta. That is, we looked at the mindfulness of the body with regard to the breath, postures, activities, parts of the body, and the elements of the body. We also explored the refrain that is found many times in the sutta. 13, 16, some many number of times after each specific meditation instruction, the Buddha repeated this refrain. and it's interesting to watch our minds because often when we hear or read repetitive passages, have you noticed how often the mind can just dull out or space out It's not oh, I've heard that already. Why is he repeating it again and again? Well, there's probably a reason that the Buddha repeated it again and again. And that is because it's important. And that he wanted us to pay attention with regard to how we should apply (coughs) each of the specific meditation instructions. So This is the refrain, which he emphasized so much. And again, it's repeated after each section of the sutta. The Buddha says, in this way, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body internally, externally, or contemplating both internally and externally. One abides contemplating the nature of arising in the body, the nature of passing away in the body, or abides contemplating the nature of both arising and passing away in the body. Mindfulness that there is a body is established in one to the extent necessary for bare knowledge and continuous mindfulness. And one abides independent, not clinging to anything in the world. That is how, in regard to the body, one abides contemplating the body. So During these next two months, <clears throat> What I'd like to do is to continue the discussion of the next sections, the next portions of the sutta, starting this evening with mindfulness of feelings. Now, for those of you who are interested either in reviewing uh, or to listen for the first time to the series of talks, there were 10 talks last year on the opening part of the sutta and on mindfulness of the body, the tapes are available here, I think. So it would provide the kind of foundation in the setting for what we'll be doing in these next two months. It's important to understand that the Buddha gave this particular teaching and really all of his teachings in the context of freeing ourselves from suffering So he's talking about liberation, not about simply getting more comfortable in our lives, not particularly in sorting out our personal histories. Although these things may happen, they may well happen in the course of practice. The teachings in the sutta address much larger questions. The teachings address the question of birth, of aging, of disease, of death, of this great cycle of existence that we all find ourselves on. And all of the teachings are pointing to how we can be free in the midst of this cycle. So although most of us are living lives in the world, you know, with all of the responsibilities, with all of the difficulties, with all of the various pleasures we're engaged in. For this time, the time that you're here at the Forest Refuge, other doors can be opened. It's a way, it's it's like a temporary monastery. It's a way of retiring from the engagement with the world. And for the time that you're here, it's possible to practice with the very highest aspirations. Whether we call it the highest happiness, or we call it peace, or we call it enlightenment, awakening. Because this is what the teachings are pointing to. And so for this time in our practice, I think it would be inspiring to enlarge our sense of what is possible And whether we simply just get glimpses of this or fully realize it, our understandings will transform how we're living in the world. So the Buddha begins this next section of the sutta with a rhetorical question. It's a question addressed to us. The Buddha asks, And how, bhikkhus, does one in regard to feelings abide contemplating feelings? So first we need to understand the meaning of this word feeling. It's a translation from the Pali. The Pali word is vedana. Now the problem is that in English, just look this in the dictionary, there are 14 different meanings of the word feeling. So we need to be clear about what the Buddha is actually talking about. Now sometimes in English, the word feeling refers to emotions. I feel happy, I feel sad, I feel peaceful, I feel excited, I feel angry. So sometimes that's what we mean by the word feeling. Sometimes it refers to physical sensations. I feel tightness, I feel pressure, I feel heaviness, I feel warmth, cold. Sometimes it refers, in English, just to a general attitude. The general feeling of the group was to act or do something. So it has all of these different meanings, and many more. But in Buddhism, Vedana, the word term Vedana is defined much more precisely. And it is this very specific meaning of Vedana that makes it such a powerful element of our practice. Because mindfulness of feeling, mindfulness of Vedana, is one of the master keys that both reveals and unlocks the deepest patterns of our conditioning. So, vedana refers specifically to that quality of pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, that arises in every moment of contact with experience. And these feelings, these vedana, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, arise with physical phenomena, they arise with mental phenomena. There's a certain sensation in the body, and we feel it as being either pleasant, or unpleasant, or neutral. We hear a sound. In the moment of hearing, we're feeling it as being pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. There's a thought, or emotion, or a mood that arises in the mind. We feel it as being pleasant, or unpleasant, or neutral. So the question is, why is this feeling tone so important? And the Buddha singled it out in so many important ways. He singled feeling out as one of the four satipatthanas. He singled it out as one of the five aggregates. He singled feeling out as a key link in the chain of dependent origination. So there's something very important to explore and discover about the nature of these feelings. Because it, in these feeling tones, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, that condition the reactions of our mind, and then the actions we take, and then the karmic consequences of the actions. It all begins with feeling. When we're not mindful, pleasant feeling, when it arises, will condition desire, attachment, clinging, when we're non-mindful, pleasant feeling arises, we like it, we want it, we want it to stay. Have any of you been sitting and been experiencing really pleasant feelings? And the thought comes, oh, I wish you'd go away. Probably not, probably, oh boy, this is a good sitting. What can I do to keep it? That's the more natural response. Unpleasant feeling, when we're not mindful, conditions aversion. We don't like it. We want it to go away. We want it to leave. Neutral feeling, conditions delusion or ignorance, when we're not mindful. We don't know what's going on because it's not very prominent. It's not strong. Now, it's so interesting about the nature of these feelings, these Vedanas, is that when we're unmindful, they condition these unwholesome roots of desire, of aversion, of delusion. And when we are mindful, they, these very same feelings become the vehicle of our, our awakening. So the Buddha elaborates on this and we find this many places in the suttas, when he talks of the uninstructed worldling and the instructed noble disciple. I want to read a little bit of these two types of people. And what we find as we listen to this is that we see that at different times we're both. So when the uninstructed worldling is contacted by a painful feeling, he or she feels aversion to it, feels sorrow, grief, and becomes distraught. So the Buddha is using, he uses the example here of being struck by a dart. And the first dart is this painful sensation that may arise, the painful feeling that arises. And then immediately afterwards, the uninstructed worldling is pierced by a second dart. And that's the dart of our reaction. The aversion, the dislike, the wanting to get rid of it, the fear. There may be unpleasant bodily feeling that arises. If we're not mindful, immediately aversion in the mind. So there are two darts, we suffer twice. We suffer or feel the pain of the initial sensation and then we have the mental suffering of our reaction to it. And what's so interesting, first is that the second dart is optional and also that the second dart is more painful than the first. But the conditioning, the play of conditioning, doesn't even stop there. So the Buddha goes on to say, being contacted by painful feeling, the uninstructed worldling then seeks delight in sensual pleasures. Why? Because he or she does not know of any other escape from painful feeling, and so is attached to birth, aging, and death. Is attached to sorrow, pain, displeasure, and despair, attached to suffering. These are very powerful words. You know, just this little feeling which is arising moment after moment when we're not mindful and it sets in motion this chain of conditioning, it is strengthening our attachment. to the causes of suffering. So just notice during the day how many times in the day we do something to avoid an unpleasant feeling. You know, it may be small shifts of posture when we sit. It may be going for a cup of tea when we're feeling restless. You know, we don't really need the tape, but it's just to avoid a certain kind of unpleasant feeling. But the Buddha also spoke of the instructed noble disciple, which is also us in our more mindful moments. Being contacted by painful feeling, one harbors no aversion to it, does not seek delight in sensual pleasures. If one feels a pleasant feeling, one feels it detached. If one feels a painful feeling, one feels it detached. A neutral feeling, one feels it detached. This bhikkhus is called a noble disciple who is detached from birth, aging, and death, who is detached from sorrow, pain, displeasure, and despair, who is detached from suffering. Desirable things do not provoke one's mind, towards the undesired one has no aversion. Can you imagine even for a moment, and just reflect on your experience, these moments, when the mind is in this state of openness, of clarity, of equanimity, painful things arise, the mind is clear, it's open, it's non-reactive painful feeling comes and goes. Pleasant feeling arises. We're not drawn to it. We just experience it. It comes and goes in that open space of clarity. So mindfulness of feeling, and again, feeling means the quality of pleasant, unpleasant, neutral. Mindfulness of feelings is not a little thing. It is the linchpin around our deepest conditioning. Now, the teaching is clear. It's not complicated to understand this, but what's striking as we begin to observe our own minds and our own experience, how powerfully conditioned are the tendencies of liking and disliking, of wanting, of pushing away, of desire and aversion. These habits of mind run very deep. Quite a few years ago, I was on a retreat, self-retreat. And it was probably the most difficult retreat I've ever been on. It was two months, and just conditions were such that it was two months of dropping in to this painful, physical sensations, physical dukkha, and even more painful, mental dukkha. mind was just filled with anguish and despair and hopelessness. It was, it was a hard two months. So I'd be sitting or walking, and if I didn't catch the trigger point of the run of conditioning, I would just get lost in all of this reactivity of my mind. And I would just stay caught in this web of unpleasant feeling. And then at certain points, the mindfulness would kick in, it would reemerge. And then I would drop into the spacious open awareness, simply being mindful of all the unpleasantness that I was experiencing. And the difference between these two states was so clear. Now, in one, I was caught in this mass of suffering. In the other, the unpleasantness was still there, but my mind was open, spacious, clear. And I kept wondering, the choice here is clear. You know, suffering or ease? And it was amazing to me to watch my mind fall into the suffering again, and again, and again. I thinking, what's going on? Why choose the suffering? Because both options were obvious. It was a very important retreat and an important lesson in the power and depth of habituated response. It was just the habits of mind, again and again, playing themselves out, even when I could see that it was just suffering. But it was also an affirmation. The very same experience was an affirmation of the possibility that we can train our minds and just seeing those moments when I would come out of that and come back into awareness, back into openness, where the unpleasantness was still there, but everything was fine. And so it was the reminder on that side yes, you know, there's work to do, and we can do it. We actually can train our minds. So the Buddha was very clear on this point. He said, That one one should make an end to suffering without abandoning the underlying tendencies of desire for pleasant feeling, aversion towards unpleasant ones, and ignorance towards neutral ones, this is impossible. That one should make an end of suffering without abandoning these tendencies, desire, aversion, delusion. This is impossible. That one should make an end to suffering by abandoning these tendencies. This is possible. So sometimes we hear this, and maybe there's the sense this is just too much. You know, how could I ever completely abandon these deep rooted tendencies of wanting, of desire, of aversion? of forgetfulness, you know, and we feel daunted. But the Buddha is saying both that it's possible. He's telling us, he's showing us how we can do it. And we realize that we do it moment by moment. In any one moment, we can abandon the tendency for that moment. That's within our capacity. It's possible for us to train in this way in the moment. So how do we put this teaching into practice? The Buddha goes on in the Sutta. He says, when feeling a pleasant feeling, one knows I feel a pleasant feeling. When feeling an unpleasant feeling, one knows I feel an unpleasant feeling. When feeling a neutral feeling, one knows I feel a neutral feeling. It's very simple. It's this simple, direct, and clear recognition of this particular feeling aspect of experience. We practice paying attention to it. And we don't need to analyze, we don't need to judge, we don't need to compare, we don't need to understand why these different feelings are coming. It's simply to know, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant, this is neutral. Or as Ajahn Sumedho often teaches, and it's a nice nice phrase, pleasant feeling is like this. Unpleasant feeling is like this. Neutral feeling is like this. It's the simple bare attention, the simple recognition of this feeling aspect in each moment's experience. So as you settle now, those of you who have been here for a while and are already settled, uh, just give some emphasis, at times, to simply noticing the feeling quality. You could be noting moment after moment, oh, pleasant, pleasant, unpleasant, 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 neutral, pleasant, and just be tracking. Whether it's an experience of the body, whether it's an experience of the mind, focus on the feeling quality. Now, the key to this and it takes practice, is not to do it in a mechanical way. So the mind is just rattling off these notes. But it's rather to have the intention to refine your awareness and your direct experience of exactly what this Vedana means, what it is in your experience. And we really, opening to, or sensitizing yourself to, softening into just this this very direct, intimate experience. Oh, this is pleasant feeling. This is unpleasant feeling. This is neutral feeling. Now, sometimes these feelings may be very clear. They're very strong, something very pleasant, very unpleasant, but sometimes not. So at first, as you're first beginning to practice in this way, you might emphasize the recognition of the ones, of the feelings that are very obvious. So a few places you could do this. Go outside when it's really cold. And just feel feel the cold when it's when it's you know really cold, and the face is beginning to get a little frozen. It's a distinctly unpleasant feeling. But what's so interesting, because it's so obvious, you don't have to go searching for this, it will give you the opportunity just to explore. Oh, yeah, that's the cold and along with the cold associated with it is the quality of it being unpleasant. Mm -hmm. And so because it's a a sustained experience, it gives you time to just investigate its nature. Oh, this is what unpleasant feeling is like. And then you can also notice when you are the instructed noble disciple that is, you're simply being mindful. Oh, unpleasant, unpleasant. The mind is simply knowing it. And when you are being the uninstructed worldling, when the mind is getting reactive, and you may go back and forth. You, know, you feel the cold and you're just noting it and aware of it. And then there's a version. we don't like it. And then again, open to it. So you can use it to explore this nature or you're taking you know, a warm shower. Just experience the pleasantness of that. You don't want to explore it for too long, but just the appropriate, the appropriate length of time of the shower. Yeah. But instead of just being in there and either just simply enjoying it without much mindfulness, or rushing through it and not really paying any attention, Bring mindfulness to it, and explore this aspect. Oh, pleasant, pleasant. At other times, notice the second dart. You know, when there's something quite pleasant or something quite unpleasant, and there's the second dart which is piercing you of the reaction, of the desire, of the wanting, of the attachment, or the aversion, the annoyance, the irritation, If that's what's arising, become mindful of that. And then go back to the pleasant or unpleasant feeling which triggered the reaction. Because when you feel the second dart, it actually can serve as a mindfulness bell reminding us that we overlooked the initial feeling. We weren't mindful of the initial feeling which led to the second art. Okay, so the practice and recognition, the practice of recognizing and being mindful of these feelings leads to the second step in our deepening insight. And that is we start to see more and more clearly the impermanent, an ephemeral nature of all of these feelings. And as we see the transitory nature of whatever feelings are arising, pleasant, unpleasant, neutral, and as we see it directly, not intellectually, but as we are really paying attention to their changing nature, we become less identified with them. We become less attached to the pleasant, knowing it's just going to arise and pass. We get less fearful of the unpleasant. We can see this learning in one of the very ordinary processes of our lives of simply growing up. This growing equanimity in the face of feelings. Now, think back to when you were a child or maybe if you can't remember that far back, just think of a child you know. In children, there's a tremendous emotional lability, you know, with every passing experience. You know we can watch kids go from laughter to tears to laughter, all within a couple of moments. Just as their minds are responding to pleasant you know, things and then unpleasant, painful things, and then pleasant again. So, moment after moment, there's this tremendous movement, you know, swings of emotion. But then, as we grow older, as we see more clearly, oh, that all of those feelings, we have more wisdom, more maturity about the impermanent nature of them. And so we're not quite as reactive. We're not subject to quite the same rapidity of emotional swings based on pleasant or unpleasant. there's, There's greater equanimity and ease. So in one passage, this is of another sutta, the Buddha compares, this play of feelings, of the arising and passing of the pleasant, the unpleasant, the neutral, he compares it to the changing winds in the sky. So I'll just read this. This was in verse form, uh, in the sutta. Just as many diverse winds blow back and forth across the sky, easterly winds and westerly ones, northerly winds and southerly ones. Dusty winds and dustless ones, sometimes cold, sometimes hot, those that are strong and others mild, winds of many kinds that blow. So in the very body here, various kinds of feelings arise, pleasant ones and painful ones, and those neither painful nor pleasant. But when a bhikkhu who is ardent does not neglect clear knowing, then that wise one fully understands feelings in their entirety. Having fully understood feelings, one is taintless in this very life. Standing in the Dhamma, with the body's breakup, the knowledge master cannot be reckoned. And that last line just refers to the liberation of an awakened being all from the contemplation of feelings. Now, although it's easy to understand that all of these feelings which are coming are impermanent, and we know that on a certain level, and we've even experienced it and and manifest the understanding to a certain level, still it's not always easy to sustain this awareness, to sustain this wisdom. In both little ways and big ways, we find our minds at different times reactive, reactive to the feelings, caught up in attachment, caught up in aversion, and often leading to different actions in the world. So we can use our meditation practice, and this is the second foundation of mindfulness the Buddha is talking about. We can practice refining our attention, honing in more precisely to this process, becoming aware of the subtle and sometimes not so subtle movements of the mind. You're doing walking meditation. you're You're just in the awareness of the movement. And then the thought comes. Oh, a cup of tea. Now we have two choices here. Associated with that thought, I think for most of us, and you can substitute. it's not the cup of tea, it's something like that. Associated with that thought is a pleasant feeling. The thought comes, oh, it's pleasant. If we are the instructed noble disciple at that moment, we'll notice the pleasantness of that thought. Note the pleasantness, understand its impermanence, see how the pleasant feeling arises and passes away and go on walking. If we're not mindful, if at that moment we are the uninstructed worldling, then we don't notice the pleasant feeling. We become identified, reactive to it. We have desire for it, desire for the cup of tea, get caught up in that attachment, start to go for the tea, thinking the tea is gonna actually make us happy, all the time missing, that it's just a reaction to that feeling that we missed. So we have many opportunities to look at this through the day. You know, how is the mind, if there are pleasant Physical sensations arising, pleasant sexual feelings arising, sexual fantasies arising. What does the mind do? That's pleasant. That's a very pleasant feeling. Do we indulge? Oh, this is nice. I could just sit here. This hour is going to go quickly. You know, and just in a state of enjoyment, even bliss. Or maybe we have another reaction. Maybe having gone through that phase where we've indulged that pleasantness. Maybe the mind is in the, the phase of afraid of feeling it, of pulling back from it. Oh, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there. And we pull back and we tighten in that way. Or can we simply rest in the open, empty awareness, pleasant, 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 not attached, not pushing away, letting the feelings all come and go by themselves. At one point in my practice, this was uh, quite some time ago, uh, there was a whole phase, uh, a whole phase when I was just getting caught in these sexual fantasies and the images would come and they would be very pleasant and I would just be lost and I would, trying to be not seeing, 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 seeing. But it was not enough, I was just I was being seduced by the pleasantness. And then at a certain point, I, I just got very interested in, okay, well, why is my mind getting so caught in this? Because like My intention was to really be mindful. So when I looked and investigated further, I decided to change the noting a little bit. And I started noting, every time this image of fantasy would arise in the mind, I would note contact pleasant. It's like I was honing in, I was, I was focusing right in on the contact with the image and the pleasant feeling that came with it. And it was amazing. As soon as I noted contact pleasant, contact pleasant, it was like hitting the right acupuncture point. It, because I was being mindful of the feeling, it didn't lead to desire, to attachment, to clinging. And the image came and went very quickly. So it reinforced for me the understanding that this mindfulness of the feeling aspect is tremendously liberating. How does the mind respond to discomfort in the body? You know, you're sitting and there's some pain. Can you be mindful of the unpleasantness? What does the mind go to reaction? Or maybe at different times, maybe you're feeling ill. How does the mind react to that unpleasant feeling? Can you incorporate that into your practice, simply noting unpleasant, unpleasant? The Buddha gave some very direct instruction here. He said, you should train like this My body may be sick, yet my mind will not be afflicted. Well, that's a very powerful teaching, I think. May my body be sick, may my body be dying, that may my mind not be afflicted. Because he's pointing to the very important understanding that absolutely nothing is outside of our practice. No experience we have, no matter how pleasant nor how unpleasant, we need to bring the same degree of mindful attention, noting the pleasant, noting the unpleasant. Our mind can remain unafflicted. Now, how are we with difficult External situations, unpleasant external situations. Now there aren't a lot around here, but probably the mind finds something. How does the mind respond? Something is unpleasant externally. You now, when we practiced in Asia, of course, a the common, common disturbance, at least initial disturbance, was all the noise. Some of you may know this, this is from an anecdote of Ajahn Chah, when he went to do a retreat himself uh, in a little meditation hut outside of the village where he had been teaching. And one of the nights he was practicing, the villagers were having a big party and there was a lot of music and loudspeakers and noise and sound. And he, according to the story, got very, his mind was getting very uh, irritated and annoyed. And it just, Don't they know I'm their teacher and I'm up here practicing and why are they disturbing me and they're making all of this noise? And then he saw what was happening in his own mind. And he, this, is, this was in one of the books. He said, well, they're just having a good time down there. I'm making myself miserable up here. No matter how upset I get, my anger is just making more noise internally, and then had this insight. Oh, the sound is just the sound. It's me who is going out to annoy it. If I leave the sound alone, it won't annoy me. It's just doing what it has to do. That's what sound does. It makes sound. This is its job. So if I don't go out and bother the sound, it's not going to bother me. Aha. So really, although he didn't use precisely the same language, he's pointing to the same thing. Talking about the mind's tendency to react to the unpleasantness of the sound, and then realizing that's only one's own reactivity. The unpleasantness is just what it is unpleasant sound. It's not a problem when we're mindful. So we thought perhaps to have intermittent sessions of loud Hindi film music piped in just by way of practicing. So one last piece that I just want to mention briefly tonight with regard to feeling and mindfulness of feeling. Often we don't see that it's the feeling itself that is the pleasantness, unpleasantness, or neutrality. We don't see that it's the feeling that we're reacting to and not the object itself. You know, we think it's the sound we don't like, or we think it's the fantasy that we want. Or we think it's some object that we either like or don't like. But it's not the object, it's not the sound, it's not the fantasy. What the mind is reacting to is the feeling tone arising in that moment of contact. It's the pleasantness that we like. It's the unpleasantness that we don't like. If we don't see this, then we get into a struggle with the object. When we do see it, and we become mindful of the feeling, it's much easier to see, oh, the feeling is just an impermanent arising and passing away. It's easier to see the e. Ephemeral, impermanent nature of the feeling. As we practice mindfulness of these feelings, and I would suggest you, you incorporate this into your practice, you apply this part of the teachings of the sutta. Practice recognizing, and using the noting if it's helpful. Recognizing the arising, oh, this is pleasant, this is unpleasant, this is neutral. With an immediacy, really bring the mind in close with a sense of interest, with a sense of investigation and inquiry of trying to understand directly for yourself What is the nature of pleasantness? What is the nature of unpleasantness? And in doing that, it will become very clear that these feelings, this quality of pleasantness and unpleasant neutrality, are empty of substance, are changing in every moment and we become less entranced by them, less reactive to them. And in the words of one Tibetan teacher, we learn to rest our weary minds. It's wearying to be reactive to every feeling that arises. When we come to a place of ease, we come to a place of rest and we can simply be mindful of them. So this is the Buddha's instruction to those interested in liberation. It's a very explicit instruction. He said, whatever feelings arise, whether pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, Abide contemplating impermanence in those feelings. Contemplate fading away, the passing away, letting go of those feelings. Contemplating thus, we do not cling to anything in this world. Contemplate the impermanence in those feelings, the passing away, the letting go of those feelings. Contemplating thus, we do not cling to anything in this world. When we don't cling, there is no agitation. When not agitated, we personally attain Nibbana.